Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. TRP is a church affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. Our current sermon series is a study on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Even though Paul was addressing theological controversies embedded within a first century Jewish context, we believe that there are some very important modern day applications. Perhaps the most notable is the sufficiency of faith in Jesus for salvation and the unity we find in him. Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. How are you guys? Can I just share something with you? I think this was the first time in years, the first time in years that I've been able just to sit in the front and listen and engage in worship. We had Suzanne running the soundboard. We had Tessa and Meredith and Jory up here leading worship. And I'm, I'm excited for that. That was nice. I can sense your excitement too. Thank you. It's palpable. The room is just filled with your excitement. It's good. Um, I don't know about you guys, but this has been a trying few weeks for me. I don't know if it's just the time of year or what, but it seems like we are running at full capacity. I've had a couple of weddings to do, which adds some things to my own schedule. So tonight, I believe that what's going to happen, now I've said this before and I've been proven to be woefully incorrect, but what I believe will happen is the text is going to speak for itself. Now, you know me, I'm going to have some commentary here and there, but I do think that the text is going to speak for itself this evening. But I did want to address some things as we've been now in Galatians for nine weeks, two solid months of learning about what Paul is doing in writing to these Galatian church plants and how they are addressing the infiltration of the Jewish Christian missionaries and all of their bad teaching. And Paul, this letter has been described as his angry and passionate letter. Now, we've gotten through three full chapters in eight weeks, so we're making some good pace. For those of you that aren't familiar with TRP, that is actually good pace, and we can commend ourselves for that. But I know that as we've been talking about this for weeks now, some of you might be sitting in the seats thinking, all right, we get it, man. Do we have to sit here and listen to you talk for 30 more minutes about circumcision? And the answer is yes. Yes, you do. No, actually, you don't. But I want to, to at least explain why it is that we do what we do. We believe that the Bible speaks to us even here and now. This is an ancient book that was written a long time ago. And if we're looking at Paul's letters, these are letters that were not written to us. That might seem heretical for me to say, but he is writing to a specific faith community with some of the pieces missing from that dialogue, pieces that we have to attempt in our best efforts to reconstruct through prayer and through diligent scholarly study of the book of Galatians. And it's up to us to try to figure out what is going on. And, and for me, instead of taking a text, even the texts that we know from the book of Galatians and plucking them up out of their context and then saying them and then immediately applying them to our lives, what I want to do and what I would like our community to do is to be engaged in the hard work of reading the Bible well, 
I think that our uh, community and our country needs people that are, are committed to reading the Bible well, which sometimes means, don't phase out, which sometimes means that you have to do some work. And we've been trying to lay that background now for two months, understanding why Paul is taking this uh, conversation so seriously and why circumcision or the lack thereof is important in his context. For Paul, this is all about the gospel, what it means to be following Jesus. And for the believers in the room, for the Christians in the room, I think that's something that we can all get on board with, but it's not always just as easy as taking those texts, ripping them out of the page, and then immediately applying them to our lives. So we're trying to do the hard work. And I'm hopeful that after week 15, which I believe we've mapped it out, we've got 15 weeks of this beautiful book. After week 15, I'm hopeful that when somebody talks to you about circumcision, as they are well known to do, whether it's in commons or hoppers, or you're just having a casual conversation and somebody says, hey, what do you think about circumcision? Then you can launch into, well, I can tell you what Paul thinks about circumcision in light of the Jewish Christian missionaries and their attempt to derail people with his teaching. I hope that that can happen. It might not, but we can dream. Now, I know that for some of you, you're, you may be tired of hearing about circumcision, and you might also be sitting there saying, what does this have to do with me? Why are we talking about a first century Jewish Christian letter that deals with things that are not immediately applicable to our context? The issue of circumcision, it's basically just a parent's decision whether or not to circumcise their infant baby boys. That's, that's as much of a religious right as it is for us here and now. We've kind of moved beyond that. So why is it that we're wrestling with this and what does this have to do with us? I'm hopeful that tonight as we continue through this letter and get to one of the theological center points of Paul's teaching, that it makes sense as to why we are trying to do the hard work of, of looking at this book in a different way. Tonight, our text is going to be primarily Galatians 4, 1 through 7, though I'm going to go back and read the last four verses that we concluded with last week. This is Galatians chapter 3, and I want you to hear this, remembering that our conversation centers around identity and how Paul has been laying into this Galatian church. How could you guys go in the opposite direction? How could you guys be going back to law-keeping and circumcision and food laws and Sabbath? How could you leave the gospel that I have given to you. How could you leave that for something different, for something cheaper? And hear how Paul is now turning into this pastoral Paul. In Galatians chapter three, he says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, I do want to just take one moment here to remind us that at least for me, as I've been digging into this book and even before digging into this book and beginning to preach this sermon series, this passage was an important one for me because of the rampant division that we see in our culture and in our community, not only outside of the walls of the church, capital C church, but within the walls of the church as well, and we've forgotten some of this unity that Paul is moving us towards, that we could all sit at one shared table and that we could have fellowship around 
Jesus, around his death and his resurrection, and that be the thing that unites us together. And somewhere along the way, we have completely derailed from that, and we find fellowship not in Jesus, in his death and his resurrection, but in all sorts of theological decisions or doctrinal statements that we have, which are fine to have, but when it removes us from fellowship with other people, that's where the danger comes into play. And I can hear Paul addressing some of our own issues today. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. He's talking about ethnic barriers should be completely demolished, yet the church is divided according to race and ethnic background. He talks about there should uh, neither be slave nor free, these economic barriers that we see in our own lives and in the ways that we, we, we live, nor is there male and female. These gender boundaries as well are things that Paul is wanting to deconstruct because in Jesus, we are all one. If you belong to Christ, he says, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 4 What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The word of God for the people of God. Paul begins by saying, what I am saying is this. He has been from Galatians 3, 6 and following up until this point, he has been uh, piecing together a biblical argument to legitimize the faith of the Galatian church, to legitimize in particular the fact that they don't need to be circumcised, that they don't need to observe the Jewish food laws, that they, in a sense, do not need to become Jewish in order to be in the family. And Paul has been rereading the Old Testament in light of what Jesus has done. And he's trying to bring some pieces together uh, by, by at least explaining again what he is saying. What I am saying is this. He's giving an analogy. His analogy is that what I am saying is that there was a time when the inheritance was withheld even from an heir. There was a time when an heir was no different than a slave, at least sort of. Paul's analogy sort of begins to break down here because even in the text, it says that there's no difference between an heir and a slave except for the fact that the heir has, a, you know, he owns the whole freaking land that they're all on. So there is minor differences there, but he's trying to to bring this comparison. There's a time when an heir was no different than a slave. There was a time when an heir was subject to guardians and trustees. Basically in this moment, the heir, the one who was about to receive the inheritance could not receive the inheritance until an allotted time. What Paul is talking about here is an allotted time set by the father. In Roman law, it was actually a a specific age in which the heir would receive the inheritance. And what Paul is saying is there's a time in which the heir does not get to receive all of the things as promised to him. And that's exactly like something that we are going through now. The heir was subject to the guardians and to trustees and people that were over him and and not allowing him to get what was due him. And Paul says, and this is how it was for all of you before Jesus 
showed up. His analogy, though, isn't just this is how it was for you, Galatian churches, but we could also pretty easily put ourselves into this conversation, and that's how it was for us as well. There was a moment in time where people were underneath of the law, and they were underneath of people that were um, over them, and they did not receive the, the full promise of what was due them. Paul says that we were enslaved to the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Stoicheia. Say stoicheia. Sounds nice, doesn't it? You guys seem pretty tired tonight. Let's say stoicheia like we mean it. Like we mean it. No, say like we mean it. Yeah, there you go. Now you're, now you're tracking. Okay. Um, people have difficulty as to what this actually means. Some people would say it refers to the basic or rudimentary principles. So we were enslaved to the basic principles of religion. And at some point, we kind of moved from ignorance into enlightenment. But that is not in the text whatsoever. Another way that people understood that uh, these elemental forces would be uh, the elemental substances from which everything in the mortal world is composed, like earth and air and wind and fire heart. We are Captain Planet. Three of you. Thank you. Good grief. I'm up here trying. Um, people would say that these are the elemental substances from which everything is composed. Earth, air, wind, fire, uh, water. Other people would say that it's not just these elemental um, substances, but these elemental spirits that, that revolve around these substances. And some people would even add uh, astrology to that. In other words, people are saying that we were slaves or people were enslaved to pagan worship. But it's unclear what Paul is saying here. The only thing that we know for sure is that there was a time in which people were enslaved, when people did not um, understand and when people did not inherit the full promises of God. But this is where Paul turns the corner. He says, but when the set time had fully come. Just like he did in chapter three, he's, he's drawing a difference between the time where people were underneath of the law and now they're underneath of, of Jesus and they, they have that, that switch. He's also saying that there's this time when we were slaves to what was going on in the world, but when the set time had fully come. This is an apocalyptic term. And how Paul is, is talking to the Galatian churches is with this moment of everything in the world has changed through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection. Something completely dramatic has happened to change everything in the world when the set time had fully come. The text says that God sent his son, born of a woman. This is a fancy way of just saying that Jesus was human. God sent his son, Jesus. He was born of a woman. He was, he was human. He was born under the law. He was born into Jewish customs. He was born into the things that enslaved, as we saw in chapter three. Jesus did this. Also, Paul says in chapter three, he became a curse for us so that the curse of the law would not be ascribed to us anymore. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. This term to redeem is like a release from slavery sort of term. Jesus comes to release us from the slavery that we have underneath of the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. This text reminds me of another text in the Gospel of Luke 
where Jesus is, is preaching for the first time. And this is interesting because in the book of Luke, what the author has done is he's taken a story that's deeply embedded in Matthew and Mark. Matthew, Mark, and Luke collectively are called the synoptic gospels. They tell a lot of the same stories, but the differences between the three show us something. And what, what Luke has done in writing this story is he's taken a piece of teaching from Jesus that in Matthew and Mark is buried. It's a, it's a minor story, but for Luke, he takes it out of that context and puts it in the very beginning of his, of his narrative as if to say, this is how we understand who Jesus is. This is an important story that we have to understand in order to see who Jesus is. And this is the text. Jesus is in, is in Nazareth, his hometown. He goes into the synagogue. He takes a scroll that the attendant gives to him. He unrolls it to the book of Isaiah and he begins to read, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. I'd also want you to think as I'm reading this and thinking about Jesus's mission and how Luke says, this is the thing that Jesus came to do. If this is usually the thing that pastors and preachers and whoever else tell you is the thing that Jesus came to do. It says the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, in Luke at least, is a God of justice, a God who comes to break the shackles of oppression and bondage, a, a, a God who comes to minister to the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. Jesus shows up to right the wrongs of the world in very tangible and practical ways. When we see Jesus healing people, we think, ooh, that's a cool party trick. But throughout the gospels, what is really happening is Jesus is righting the wrongs of the world and giving us a glimpse, a small glimpse of the change that is being brought about in his life and his death and his resurrection. The things that he asks us to partner with him to do. And what Luke says is these are the important things. Jesus is breaking the chains. And I want to at least throw this out there. He's not just breaking the chains of our sinful bondage. He's breaking the literal chains of people who wear literal chains. It's not just a spiritual gospel, though for us that's important, specifically because we usually aren't the ones wearing chains and shackles, but Jesus is, is doing spiritual work, but he's also engaged in the work of the people in practical and tangible ways. And the text here says, when the time has, had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem, to break the shackles of those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. This is a monumental theological statement that Paul is making because up until this point, the Gentiles had been out on the margins. They had not been allowed to be in in any tangible sense without first becoming Jewish followers. And what Paul is saying, Jesus has changed everything. The apocalyptic invasion of the Son of God has fundamentally changed the world. We are no longer servants to the elemental substances and spirits of this world. We are no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And the reason why we are is because God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we all might receive sonship. 
And because you are sons, Paul says to the Galatians, because you guys have experienced this, and whenever you hear sons, don't think sons to the exclusion of daughters, but understand that this is a a first century patriarchal sort of text. So sometimes you're gonna get masculine terms and we'll talk about this one as well as we get into the prayer that's, that's being uttered here. But because you are his sons, but also because you are his daughters, because you are in the family, because you have trusted Christ, because you have understood and perceived this fundamental apocalyptic change where everything is different now. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Now, for so many of you, you've heard that little pastoral trinket like, yeah, Abba means daddy. And it's like you can just crawl up on daddy's lap and say, hey, daddy, which seems strange. I don't, I don't feel good about what just happened here. Um, but we, we picture like these little kids. This is a term that other Jewish men would use of their father as well. This is a relational term. This is an, an intimacy type term. This is a term where you know the person that you're talking to. It's also interesting here that we have two different languages in this. We have Abba, which is the Aramaic language, Abba, Father. And for Paul, he's writing this in Greek. And it's almost as if to say we've got the Jewish way of phrasing things and we've also got the Gentile way of phrasing things. It's kind of beautiful in that way where he says the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, who the spirit who allows us to be in relationship with God. I, that is something that gets so overused within the church, this, this stuff about having a relationship. But we see here in the text that this is actually what's happening because when we trust in Jesus, we have the spirit in us, the spirit of Christ who allows us and, and who calls out for us Abba, Father, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. Paul is bringing this this, um, analogy to a conclusion. You, Galatian Christians, you are no longer slaves. You are God's children. And since you are his children, God has also made you an heir. I also want to, let's go back because now I'm remembering what I wanted to say about Abba Father. Sometimes we have gendered language in the Bible about God, but do not ascribe gender to God. I know for some people, when you think about dad, that image that you have is not helpful in any sense of the term. But understand when this is being written in the first century Jewish culture, this is actually emblematic of one who could give out the inheritances. This is something in a patriarchal culture where the dad had that sort of authority and that sort of role within the family life. And when people are calling out Abba, Father, don't ascribe gender to God because all throughout the Old Testament, we also have pictures of God as the nursing mother, as one who is comforting and nurturing. We've got all these different images that we have that fail to completely envelop who God is. And they all give us a slice, a little slice sliver of his person or her person or its person. We have these images that we see here in the text, but Paul brings it all to a conclusion. So you are no longer a slave. You're God's children. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And just think for a moment about these Galatian churches. 
that had been pulled between two different people, Paul saying the gospel is this, trust in Jesus. His perfect work has taken care of everything. You do not need circumcision and you do not need to eat the right food and you do not need to observe the Sabbath. Don't worry about that. Trust in Jesus with everything that you have. And the Jewish Christian missionaries who come in and say, yeah, Paul is really on something. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You have to add all this stuff to it. The Jewish Christian missionaries, their gospel was Jesus plus stuff. And understand like the Galatian Christians did not know who they were or what they should be doing. They're pulled between this, this identity of going in this direction or that direction. They did not know what to do and understand when Paul says this to them, the amount of perhaps relief that they might hear. You are no longer slaves, Galatian children. You're God's children. And since you are his children, God has made you an heir. Sometimes when we start um, service, I've been known to say something to the effect of wherever you have come from, whatever it is that you have brought with you into this space, you are a child of God. You have been created in his image. You have been created in his likeness. He cares. He is concerned with who you are. And I've heard back from some of you in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through. And you say things like when you say that, it's meaningful to me because it reminds me that in the midst of the brokenness that I'm experiencing, there is at least one person out there who is with me. Tessa, whatever she said before we sang that song about, what's the line? Do you know? Yeah, there will never be a day when you're uncertain of the ones you choose. And this is why I was kind of weird at the beginning. Like I'm sitting over there and I'm hearing her say that. And I've been, like I haven't been going through all sorts of stuff, but sometimes like we've talked about over the last few weeks in the midst of this identity stuff, you begin to doubt, you begin to question, you begin to be all here and there and everywhere and you hear all of the negative things. If any of you have ever talked to me at the coffee shop, you know that for every positive, I might give you five or six negatives. And I apologize for that. That's not a good pastoral move, but that's just... That's how the Lord has created me. And I'm going to try to move out of that into something that's a bit more positive. But I'm sitting over here thinking and hearing that and just like becoming overwhelmed with the truth of that. Regardless of the junk that I bring to the table, I am an heir. I have an inheritance and I'm not talking about heaven. I'm not talking about the cool mansions that I get to have and the pizza that I get to eat and the baseball games that I get to play in. My splitters are going to be really nasty. So just look out for that. I know it. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about I and you and us. We are children of God. We are heirs because of what Jesus has done for us by becoming a curse for us, by becoming sin for us, by taking all of the weight and the mess that we bring to him and putting it to death on the cross. And as we sit here right now, we are children that are loved in a way that's inexplicable. I love my parents, but their love does not in any way encompass the love that God gives to his children. We are all broken metaphors for what God is in his perfection. And we, as we sit here, when we have trusted in Jesus, understanding the work that he has done on our behalf, understanding all the stuff that he has taken on for us, becoming a curse, putting the law to death, putting sin and death to death. As we sit here, we are no longer slaves. We are children. And because we are his children, we are heirs of the promise. 
It says in Ephesians chapter four, and hopefully you can get some of this circumcision language now that we've done some hard work here. This is Ephesians four. It says, therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So what's all this have to do with me? Why have we been talking about circumcision for so long? Our issue is not whether to be circumcised or not, but our issue should be able to see these climactic words in the New Testament. But now, through Jesus, we are able to be heirs. We are able to be children of the most high God. What about me? Well, in the same way, we either are now currently or we were slaves to whatever these forces are in this world. And I don't want to get all crazy supernatural on you here, but I think what Paul is is getting at is when we understand who Jesus is, there's a sense of freedom that we experience. That doesn't mean life becomes easy. That certainly does not mean that we go without problems. But we do not wear the same shackles that we did prior to. And for some of us, the only thing that we can really use to understand that is the shackles of sin, because we don't live in a, in a context where we feel the weight of poverty and brokenness and systemic racism. We might not be products of that world where we experience that, but I think that this text also has something to say for that as well. And at least now that we understand this, we should be moving towards those sorts of conversations to let people know what Jesus has actually done for the sake of the entire world and not just for our own individual sake. What about me? Well, it's either we are or we were slaves. We have been or could be rescued from bondage by Christ. I don't have a great way to explain this. I don't have a great way to to make this make sense for us as, as we sit here. But when Paul talks about Jesus being one who breaks the shackles, and he does that throughout the New Testament in real tangible ways, and I believe he is entrusting that task to us here and now, we also can experience that release from bondage through Christ here and now. We are or we could be invested with the spirit of Jesus which Paul seems to think is a pretty important thing because this is the spirit that allows us to say, Abba, Father, that even speaks that on our behalf. And at least in this place at times, and we can point the finger right here if you'd like, in this place, we don't tend to talk about that a lot. We tend to talk about first century Jewish Christian culture uh, because that's important, or the ancient Near Eastern culture. We talk about that sort of thing as well. But do not underestimate the power of the spirit that is working in your life. One of the, the minor things that Paul is trying to get these Galatian Christians to understand is it might not be about law. You don't even need the law because the spirit is guiding you. Wherever it is that you need to go and whatever sort of courage you need to have as you make these decisions, these bold decisions for the sake of Jesus, and that is where we are as well. The Spirit will guide you and has guided you and will continue to guide you. I think sometimes we, this is going to sound terrible, we outthink 
that. Sometimes we don't trust that. Sometimes we don't allow ourselves to go where the Spirit is leading us. And I would encourage you through these words and through our own shared experiences to allow that to do the work that it is attempting to do. We are or we could be living as sons and daughters of the Most High God. This passage and this book, even though it is deeply embedded within a first century Jewish Christian culture, I think that it speaks volumes to us here and now to the issues that we face, understanding the unity that we have through Jesus and also understanding who we are called to be through Jesus and allowing that to fuel the relationships that we have, the decisions that we make, but also the way that we advocate for people. Just as Christ was one who was trying to to spread this gospel to the poor and to the oppressed and bring people in, that's our job too. And I'm hopeful that wherever we find ourselves, that we allow that very true promise that we are heirs to completely inform who we are, to inspire us and encourage us as we go, to have important and meaningful conversations with people, to allow them to see the hope that Christ gives in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the slavery and the bondage, to see what Jesus can do as one who continues to break those shackles of oppression. My hope tonight is that we continue to to wrestle with our own individual identity and corporate identity, understanding that we, as followers of Jesus, are heirs. And that is good news. Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.